0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll be this morning. Thank you, Daryl and and Tina, for leading us. We're going to start in verse 29, and we're going to cover a whole of five verses, all the way to 34. (laughs) I didn't preach last week. I banked 10 minutes, so just get ready. I'm sorry I can't hear anything right now. I'm just listening to the Lord. I've titled this sermon, The Purposeless Life, um, because what Paul is doing in this section, starting in, verse, in chapter 15, is he, he transitioned out of spiritual gifts, and he's transitioned into this idea of the resurrection um, of, of Jesus Christ. And there's some false ideas that the Corinthians were holding to, and, and the most prominent false idea that was taking place that we walked through last week when Mr. Jones preached for me was this idea that there were Corinthians who did not believe in the bodily resurrection. They denied it outright. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Like, and he's walking through all of these things. And, and, and Mr. Jones did a great job last week of getting us up to this point on why it's necessary, why we have to understand the bodily resurrection, why we know Christ is going to come back. And when he comes back, we will be raised with him, not just in spirit, but physically as well. I'd encourage you to go listen to it if you haven't heard that message. And so now Paul jumps to a section that has a couple of odd things in it. Um, if you've ever heard the Mormon doctrine of baptism for the dead, these are the passages where they get to that idea that we're going to reject. Um, and so we're, we're going to walk through these short passages. And there, this this short section, largely because there's some controversy here, but largely because what Paul is doing is interesting. As he's telling us, if you deny the resurrection, then what you end up with is a purposeless life. And so I tried really hard to think of things in my life or think of situations where like I had worked really hard at doing something and then it just all ended up for naught because we ended up not doing that. Typically, it's like when we're moving and sh- Morgan's like, put the couch right here, and so I'll put it here, and she's like, no, nope that's not it. Move it over here. And then it eventually comes back to where it initially started. It's just purposeless. But the most purposeless thing I could think of are the traffic signs that say uh, pay attention to the signs. Have you seen those? If you're not paying attention to the signs, you're not going to see that sign. It's a purposeless sign. I thought that would be a better reaction. My bad. Thank you, Tina. Here's what I've just learned. This side's got my back. This side, not so much. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll start in verse 29. Otherwise... What will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, but what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Father, as we work through these passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 29 through 34, and we focus our attention on your words here, I pray that you would enlighten us. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 says this. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? So let's start where Paul starts here. He says otherwise at the very beginning, which means he's drawing back on everything he's been saying since 1 Corinthians 15, 1, which is all about the bodily resurrection. that better i'm just gonna keep going at this point uh, it would be a purposeless baptism you'd just be simply getting wet in 1 corinthians paul has talked quite a bit about baptism to give us an idea of what baptism is baptism is and what baptism is not in fact early on in chapter 1 verse 13 paul says i'm really glad that i didn't baptize a lot of y'all do you remember that? They're arguing back and forth over their Sunday school teachers, and Paul writes in going, I'm so glad I didn't baptize some of y'all, because in your hearts, with your pride, you were likely to say, look at me, I'm a better Christian because I was baptized by the Apostle Paul. It would stir up pride within their hearts and pride within their life. And so Paul immediately starts talking about baptism in a way that they were misunderstanding it. They thought it mattered who baptized you. Paul also says, I didn't come to baptize, but to proclaim The gospel. In chapter 12, Paul talks about how baptism is admission into the church, the body. Now, Paul isn't a member at First Baptist Corinth, he's their apostle that's been over them, he has that authority. But their pastors, their elders, would be responsible for baptism and keeping the unity of the body. That That's the front door, the entrance into the church. You are saved, and then you are baptized. And it goes in that order on purpose. That's the way that we have it. So what is this practice of baptism of the dead that just shows up out of nowhere? This is the only passage in the New Testament that talks about it. Like I said, it seems like what the Corinthians were doing were recognizing that there were people who had died that they they thought had believed in the gospel but had not been baptized, and so they were baptizing people in order to cover, to count, I guess, as their baptism of the dead. But what Paul is saying, he's not endorsing that, he's not saying this is a correct belief, what Paul is saying is if your culture is doing that, then they understand the bodily resurrection. They understood that death is not the final place for the Christian. There must have been some fear that someone who died had not been baptized, and so they needed to be baptized, and they fleshed out that fear by baptizing somebody in behalf of the dead. But they're misinformed. They don't understand. If they heard the gospel, then they would have been saved. Baptism does not save us. It's a symbol. It's important, but it does not save. It's the first act of obedience after salvation. So we're, we're saved and then baptized. That's the order it gives. And honestly, baptism is a command. If you are a believer in Jesus, you should be baptized. And in honesty, if you look at the scripture's callings for Christians, it's the easiest of all of the things we're asked to do. Go get dunked underwater. And we have a heater at ours. And I've learned <laughs> you can make it too hot. <laughs> it's the first act of obedience it's scary for some people some people when they get baptized don't want to look out amongst the congregation In ours they just face this way I won't say who but we've had a few here lately Alexis others are scared of the water they don't know how to swim there's a a legitimate fear that takes place but I was a lifeguard in high school and I rescued multiple kids you're fine others don't want to do it because it feels like you're making a big deal out of yourself you're the center of attention you're standing on the stage you're everybody's looking at you you're being baptized but that's not what baptism is it's not about you it's about an obedience to what god has called you to none of that nullifies the gospel's call to be baptized after you are saved there is no text that talks about being baptized for those who have died so that they might be admitted into heaven you will not find that in the scriptures You will not find in the scriptures that somebody is not admitted into heaven because they were not baptized. But this practice was common enough in Corinth that Paul uses it to make a point about the resurrection. Some say there's no resurrection. They're wrong. In fact, in Corinth, there's people being baptized for the dead. And why would they do that unless they believe that the resurrection was real? What Paul's doing is he's addressing a purposeless baptism, which is a result of a purposeless life. Baptism is more than simply recommitting to Christ. I think in our culture, there's three errors we make when it comes to baptism, and they're common. One, we'll treat baptism like it's something that recommits us to Jesus. So the idea then is you're saved, and then you're baptized, and then uh, for whatever reason, maybe uh you, you grow in your faith or whatever else. You decide that you, you ran away from the Lord, you, and so you want to come back to God. There's this healthy desire to come back to the Lord, and so you think the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to recommit, and I'm going to recommit by being baptized, but that's not what you see in the scriptures. You're only baptized once. There's this idea that baptism saves, and this is a prominent idea around us even though we would reject it that I have to be baptized to be saved. Essentially what we're saying is God can do 99% of the work in my salvation, but if I don't do that 1% of baptism, then it's all for naught. I think the thief on the cross would argue with that. He was not baptized. He repented, and Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't a church member. He never tithed according to anything that we would recognize. Yet Jesus says, you will be with me today in paradise. And lastly, baptism is something that you can delay and inevitably not do. And if we're honest, I think this is the temptation that we probably fall into more than the others. And for me, this is because of personal experience. I know friends who got saved at a VBS or got saved at a revival or got saved at a youth camp and then quickly were baptized after that and then the fruit of their life has been, man, you are not baptized because you are not a believer now that there needs to be this kind of healthy, well, let's make sure you're a believer first, but at the end of the day, if somebody is a believer, they should be baptized. So there might be some wisdom in having a little bit of a delay there, but what tends to happen is we kind of delay it, and then we delay it, and then we delay it, and then we delay it, and, delay it, and you never really get baptized. Use your wisdom, right? And if you've got kids this way, I think this is our struggle with, with young kids trying to decide, Are you do you mean what you're saying? Or are you just saying, because you know that's what we want to hear? Do a Bible study with them. Open up the scripture passages. Disciple them. Come and talk to them. I'll give you the resources that you can walk through these things with them to make sure they're a Christian or not. But at the end of the day, what all of this amounts to is there is a temptation within our Christian culture to fall into a pragmatic Christianity, which is just to say whatever works is what we should do. If this gets more people in the door, then God is going to be honored with it. So let's do whatever it is to get as many people in that we can so they can hear the gospel. But in the scriptures, what you will learn is that the method we use to draw people to Christ is told to us by Jesus. How we do things matters to Jesus. How we baptize matters. Because you can be dunked underwater and it not be baptism. We must look at the biblical Jesus, or else we end up with these purposeless baptisms, and it's purposeless because Christ is removed from it. We know that baptism is important, it is commanded to us in the Great Commission. We know that you are supposed to be saved, and then you're supposed to be baptized. We also know that our churches get so excited when people get baptized, and we should. But we cannot just decide that we're going to try to manipulate this for our own pleasure and for our own means. There are churches that do this all over, and it's dangerous will say you can sign up online for the baptismal service and they're going to have a bunch of baptisms on a particular Sunday and then maybe if you feel led to be baptized that Sunday if you get wrapped up in the emotions and they play the right songs and hit the right keys and sing the right verses and do all of those things that maybe you'll go forward and be baptized too but what's end up happening is our churches are filled with baptized non-believers who don't know who Jesus is and so then the next time the service comes around you feel guilty because you might recognize you're not a believer or maybe you are a believer and you feel guilt for no reason and so you go and get baptized again it's a misunderstanding of what baptism is it's not purposeless we have our purpose in christ there is a bodily resurrection coming so that it means that if you and i die before jesus comes back and some of you are close and say who so if you felt conviction there that's the spirit And this means that what we do with our physical bodies is important, that it matters. We might be able to get more people to be baptized if we use some kind of pragmatic means, if we play on emotions or try to manipulate people into this. But at the end of the day, that's not our concern. Our concern is to make disciples to help people grow in Christ. And so if you're an unbeliever, how we want to disciple you is to help you become a believer as best as we can. We can't do it for you. The Lord has to change your heart. The Lord has to save you. And if you are a believer, our goal is not to make you feel guilt over these things, but to help you grow in Jesus Christ, to become people of the word who help grow each other and help let others grow you as well. So you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we baptize you at our church, it is your public display of faith. That's you saying, I am a Christian now, and I am joining the people of God. So then, what if you're baptized, and then later in life you realize that you were not saved when you were baptized? Do you need to get re-baptized? No, you need to get baptized. (laughs) The first time was not a baptism. It was simply getting dunked underwater or sprinkled if you went to one of those churches. What if you were saved, but over the years you've drifted and now you come back to the Lord and you want to make a statement about your faith? Should you get rebaptized? No, you should take the Lord's Supper. That's what the Lord's Supper is for. It's this thing that we do often as believers. That's what the text says. It doesn't tell us we do it every week, although there's a pretty good argument that we should. It's something that we do often and something that we take together. And it's your renewal. It's your recommitment to the Lord. When you were running from God, you were not taking the Lord's Supper, and you should not have. That's the recommitment, not baptism. So what if your child has talked about baptism, but you're not sure if they're truly saved or not saved, and you don't want to do, like they want to please you, and you know they want to please you, and they want to make you happy, but you're not sure if it's a true salvation or it's not. It might be wise to delay for a season. It might be wise to help them grow. It might be wise to sit down and do a Bible study with your kids. Let me pitch to you a radical, revolutionary idea of discipleship. Parents discipling their kids. It might be wise to plug into Sunday school and to tell your Sunday school teachers, hey, my kid's wrestling with this. Do you mind kind of seeing if you see anything different in them besides what I'm seeing? I think that's a good and a wise thing. You're taking your role as a parent seriously. Don't let baptism be purposeless. Because when it's purposeless, it's a part of a purposeless life. Which means the life is purposeless because it's been removed like Christ has been taken out of it. There are people who say, I got baptized so I could wash my sins away. It's not what baptism does. Salvation does that. Paul argues that baptism matters. And Paul argues that baptism matters because the resurrection matters, because the resurrection is real, because we will be bodily raised from the grave. So what we do with our physical bodies matters. So if we want to tweak baptism in a way that makes it more pragmatic, we're tweaking something that God has told us not to. It does not become healthy when we mess with the word of God. So let the clear interpret the unclear recognize paul is not telling us to start being baptized for the dead he's simply using that as an illustration to say the bodily resurrection is coming do not have a purposeless baptism because that's from the foundation of a purposeless life verse 30 why are we in danger every hour I face death every day, as sure as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, and what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will uh, we die. So, Paul again kind of throws a curveball at us in this section, talking about these beasts in Ephesus, and we'll we'll get to them. But if you remember back in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul talked about how the apostles were condemned to die. And what Paul is doing is he's viewing his life through this lens. If you just think, step back and think about the apostle Paul's life, what we recognize is that his was a life where his life literally was on the line multiple times. He had a crowd that threatened, not, not threatened, he had a crowd that thought they stoned him to death. In Acts chapter 4, uh, 14, they didn't. Right, I like to tell people you're invincible until the Lord tells you you're not, and you'll find out quickly. They thought they killed Paul, threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. He wasn't. We see that Paul's imprisoned multiple times throughout the book of Acts, that he's beaten, that he's run out of town early on in his ministry. Remember the story? He has to be lowered out of the window in a basket to avoid being killed. So when Paul says, We're in danger every hour, what he means is, He's in danger every hour. All of these people are coming after him, that he has enemies. But I love what he says. He does not say, I wish I was out of danger. Instead, he says, do you know why we're in danger every hour? In essence, he's saying, do you know why I won't stop? Do you know why I will continually be in danger every hour until killed or, or die?" We don't know how Paul died. Paul's saying is there's something foundational that the Corinthians need to understand and it's so foundational that Paul is willing to risk his life for it over and over and over and over again Paul says I'm in danger every hour just like I boast about you I face death every single day and he brings up these wild beasts in Ephesus I fought these wild beasts in Ephesus, What is this? Is this kind of some gladiatorial thing where it's man versus a lion and Paul's just out there shedding these lions with swords? No. Most likely, is this a symbolic of an adversary that Paul is referring to all of his enemies as these wild beasts? And we see this kind of language take place in the Old Testament a few times where it's these people against Paul. And he says, in my own strength, if I'm using my own strength, if I'm devoid of the Spirit, if I'm devoid of the gospel, and just fighting this stuff in my own strength, I would lose. they devour me. But rather, I didn't fight them as a mere man. I fought wild beasts. If I had fought wild beasts as a mere man, what good does that do me, is exactly what Paul says in the CSB. The answer is, it doesn't do him any good if he fights them as a mere man. there's something else Paul is getting at why is there danger every hour why is he not seeking to change his direction to become danger less to be more comfortable to be less persecuted to be less sought after to not have his life on the line at all times because he recognizes that life is worthless if there is no resurrection that if the dead are not raised from the grave then let's live like there's no tomorrow it's old now, but it's post when I was a teenager. So somewhere in that phrase, in that age, there was a phrase called YOLO. You remember YOLO? You only live once. And so what you would have are these kids who wanted to be popular, yell YOLO, and then they would go do something dumb. Because you only live once. So, you know, YOLO, go do something ridiculous. What Paul is getting at is they're right. If we don't believe in the gospel, if we don't understand Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of the earth, if we don't understand the bodily resurrection, then all of life, all of death is purposeless. So you might as well go live however you want to live because in the end it doesn't matter. That's what Paul's saying. That if you don't understand the resurrection of the dead, if you think people are raised and then, or you don't think they're raised, then it doesn't matter how you live your life. So eat drink and then go party because tomorrow you're going to die and when paul quotes that he's quoting isaiah 22 and in isaiah 22 what we see happening is god says jerusalem is going to be destroyed he calls for weeping he calls for wailing he calls for his people to shave their heads to wear sackcloth because god is going to destroy the city and instead what the people do and what paul is quoting is they decide to celebrate they say God's going to destroy Jerusalem tomorrow, so we might as well party tonight as hard as we possibly can. Isaiah twenty-two thirteen 13 says this, But look, joy and gladness, the butchering of cattle, the slaughtering of sheep and goats, the eating of meat and the drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You only have not one night, so do whatever you want is the result. Paul's saying is a purposeless life has a purposeless death because it's a death without Christ and the way you don't die a pointless death death is to have a purposeful life a life that isn't centered on you a life that isn't centered on your desires a life that isn't centered on your wants and your needs a life that is centered on Jesus Christ and him crucified there's a poem by a man named c.t stud i'm gonna read it to you in its fullness because i think it's helpful in making this point. point two little lines i heard one day traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for christ will last only one life yes only one Soon will be fleeting, hours be done. Then, in that day, the, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, ple- uh, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Each with his burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with his clays I must fulfill. Living for self or in his will. Only one life twill soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Then this bright world would tempt me sore. When Satan should a victory score. When self would seek to have its way. Then help me Lord with joy to say. Only one life twill soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, and in joy or sorrow, Thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing Thee in my daily life. Only one life twill soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love, love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for Thee and Thee alone, bringing Thee pleasure on Thy throne. Only one life twill soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, 'Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last that there is a purposeless death, that if we are not careful, we can die. But brothers and sisters, God, by the power uh, the power of God Almighty, when we die, tells us that that is not our final state. In the previous passage that Mr. Jones preached in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, Paul says this, and the last enemy to be abolished is death. That death is not our friend that it is an enemy, and it is an enemy that Christ will abolish, that we will be raised bodily from the grave and be seated with Christ. So do not live a life where we just say let's eat and drink because tomorrow we will die. Instead, do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. A purposeless life is a Christless life, and a Christless life will make you think that death is purposeless too. And if you think that death is purposeless and that there's nothing after this, then you're going to live your life either petrified to make a mistake that will end it or so full-blown running towards all of the things of the world to make the most of it that you miss what Christ is actually telling us to do. That there's more to us than simply the here and the now. That we're souls, that we're spirits. That we will be resurrected verse 33 do not be deceived bad company corrupts good morals come to your senses and stop sinning for some people are ignorant about god and i say this to your shame do not be deceived deception means being fooled or being tricked And deception is dangerous because when we're deceived, we often don't recognize it. That's what deception means. We're tricked. And so there's some temptation to think, I won't be deceived. If that's our heart and that's our attitude, we are the most susceptible to this. Deception thrives because of personal pride. Paul is intentionally saying, Do not be deceived. Meaning, be humble, do not be prideful, recognize that there is more going on than you realize that's going on. Bad company corrupts good morals, that there's this group of people in Corinth who do not believe the resurrection is real. And Paul is saying, bad company corrupts good morals or good character or whatever translation yours says, good manners, that there's this group of people who believe this thing that's not true. And if you're not careful, you can be deceived into believing this too. The, the, the bad company corrupts good morals is a phrase that's probably used around Corinth. There's a, a, a poet that they're kind of linking it to, but it's not exact. But it's a phrase that the Corinthians would have understood. They knew it was something that went around. It's like if I say, don't mess with Texas. You understand what that means, right? Take up arms and fight. No, it's a litter campaign. Don't throw your trash down. Don't mess with Texas. Although it's shifted its meaning, hasn't it? So much of Corinthians has been about unity in the local church. And there is no doubt what Paul is saying is make sure you surround yourself with brothers and sisters who have covenanted and care for you, who love you enough not to just tell you the nice and the good things, but to also lovingly tell you when they think you're running and being deceived. Trust people in your church enough to listen to them when they tell you things and be trusted by others enough to tell them things. We live in a fallen world and we live in fallen flesh and we have an enemy in Satan and the demons that is not fake. He is real. And God has given us his word, which is our ultimate standard to not be deceived, but God has also given us his people, the church, that we can covenant with one another, that we can grow with one another, that can help us to make sure that we're not being deceived because bad company corrupts good morals. This ought to be the main reason why we make sure our life is not overly influenced by social media. How many times do we just sit and scroll through nonsense to realize bad company corrupts good morals, that it shapes our thinking, that it shapes our values, that it shapes our morals, that it shapes our understanding of Jesus Christ? You understand they don't care about you, right? You and I to those companies are nothing but people they can sell to advertisers so that they can make more money. Truth is not what regulates them. Now it can be good; it can help us with things. But it's absolutely certain that bad company corrupts good morals, and Christians can be led astray. We talked about this this morning in, in our little Sunday school class with Peter and John. Peter denying Jesus three times after he adamantly says, "I will not deny you three times," and then he denies Jesus three times, and and John, who Peter and John are preaching this message to these people and are saying, stop preaching the gospel, and they say, we can't, not we won't, we can't, we're not going to stop because we cannot stop, and then we recognize Peter and John were also part of the disciples that were falling asleep while Jesus was saying, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, not once, not twice, three times they fall asleep in the garden, that James and John, the sons of thunder in the inner core of the disciples, get their mama to beg Jesus to let them sit at the right and left hand of Jesus in the throne. They're saying we, who they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God as opposed to doing what Jesus says to do. That Christians can stray. That we can be deceived. Because bad company corrupts good morals. But do you see what Paul says at the back of this? Come to your senses. Stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. So we've seen the purposeless life, you have a purposeless baptism, you have a, 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 a purposeless, uh, what was the second one? Death, a purposeless death, and now what we see is you have a purposeless evangelism you have this group of people who do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ so what kind of gospel are you sharing with them what kind of story are you telling them be good so that God won't punish you that's not the gospel follow after Jesus so that you can get everything that you want to in your life that's not the gospel Paul could have easily said here, if he wanted to, follow Jesus and your life will not be in danger. And instead, Paul is saying, I follow Jesus, thus my life is in danger. What he's saying is it can be purposeless. And our evangelism can be purposeless either because it's not happening at all or because when we share the gospel, we often forget about Jesus. That you and I will look to a lost and dying world and we know that we're supposed to share the gospel with them but it's frightening but if we look at our life and we look at what Paul is saying is there is a way to live a purposeless life and one of the results of a purposeless life is that Christ is away from you and Christ is away from you that means that your evangelism is going to be purposeless That you can say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but if your actions do not match that, then the world will not listen and care for you. You would be a hypocrite. Our life mirrors to lost people. They watch us. They know what we do. We can know the right words to say. We can know the right cliches to speak. But at the end of the day, When it comes to our evangelism, it stems more about who we are in Christ than what we say. And we have to say the right things. We have to know the scripture the correct way. And we have to be able to balance our words with our actions. But to do one without the other is to have a purposeless evangelism. And and sometimes we think that this doesn't take place in Ira, that we have to drive over to Snyder or Hermley, get in the belly of the beast over there. Ruby called and told me she wouldn't be here this morning, so I knew I'm queuing up these harmony jokes. No. This is in Ira. This week, I was talking to a student at the school who lives in the school district, and let me tell you, just to open our eyes a little bit, he had never heard the gospel, and he does not own a Bible. Ira. This is where we're at. This is not something that's distant and far away from us. That's being deceived as the devil would have us to be. That this is an issue that God has given you and me for our place where he has put us. That our evangelism must be centered on the work of Jesus Christ. And it must come from understanding that God raised, like Jesus is raised from the grave, bodily. And that you and I, if we die before Jesus comes back, we'll be buried or, or cremated or however, whatever happens to our bodies. But when Christ comes back, we will be bodily raised too. Which means that God is far more than just some benevolent grandpa in the sky who's always willing to lend an ear and give you a talk when you need to talk to somebody. That he's somebody with the power to bring the dead to life. That God is far more than some vending machine up in the sky that if you say the right thing or you do the right thing or you give the right amount or you pray the right prayers or whatever you think it is that works, you can push the buttons on God and get dispensed whatever it is you want out of him. God is far more than the stern dad who just yells at his kids and wants them to act right so he, if they don't, he stands up and he can take his belt off at any moment so you better mind your Ps and you better mind your Qs and make sure that you don't act up or God is going to stand up and beat you. Or some think that God is this distant God who doesn't actually care and doesn't actually deal with humanity. He started creation, he started the world, and then he stepped away. Now he's distant and he's not about it. Those are weak views of God. Those are deceptive views of God. Those are people who do not have a purposeful evangelism. They don't understand the gospel. That's not the God of the Bible. It's a weak God who doesn't exist in the scriptures. Yet if that's the God we believe in, you can see how our evangelism would be weak and purposeless. Our God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He is the ancient of days. He's also the one who took it upon himself to save sinners like you and me when we were most adamantly running away from him. That God from before time began devised a plan to save his enemies those who were under his rule and reign and rebelled against God. That God makes his covenants with his people and he reveals himself to them. And he reveals that he's going to send himself to save them. He doesn't send a messenger. He doesn't send something less than God. He sends God in the flesh, comes to us in his body. Jesus puts on flesh. It fascinates me to think about this, that the God who spoke creation into existence is the one who puts on flesh and is in a, a baby. Holding the stars together while he's being rocked to sleep by his mom. That he's God. And that he bears the wrath of the Father on the cross. Not because he wants to, but because he loves us. Because he cares for us. Because he knows that's the only way we can be with him. So that he dies. But we know three days later he's raised from the grave and is sitting with God right now interceding on our behalf. It's why we pray in Jesus' name that the resurrection is real. And when we live in light of the real resurrection, what we see is not a mean God who's vengeful and angry at us and not a weak God who's passive and can't do anything, but a God who holds justice and grace with both of his hands and is able to save sinners like you and me and other people in Ira. That our evangelism is not purposeless. It's not something we do just to check off a box and feel better about ourselves. It's something that we cannot help but doing because God has saved us and that's what's been our foundation. That outside of that, our life is purposeless. That it's pointless. That outside of salvation, we can get dunked underwater, but if it doesn't change, if it's not from salvation then it's just a purposeless baptism something we do to make ourselves feel better about ourselves that we live our life however we want to live our life because we know at the end of the day if we don't believe in Christ if we don't understand that gospel then our death is purposeless like if the resurrection is not true we don't need to be here you could be sleeping in or preparing for the football game later be honest is just preparing for the snacks that you're going to eat at the Super Bowl and you know what God says, they don't count if it's in that window of the game, so eat whatever you want to that if we don't understand the resurrection, if we don't understand God, if we don't understand the gospel then of course our evangelism is going to be purposeless because we're sharing the good news that wouldn't be good news We're not trying to make converts. We're not trying to make bad people good. We're trying to make dead people come alive. And the only way that you and I can do that is by saying we can't do that. But we know the one who can. We know Jesus. So if you're Christian, brother and sister. Listen to that poem. You only live once. Don't waste it on frivolous things. Paul says, stop sinning. That's a good message for us. Stop sinning. Come to your senses. The lost desperately need Jesus. You and I, if we're believers, desperately need Jesus. So don't become entrapped with these fleshly ideas of the world. Bad company corrupts good morals. Lean into the gospel of Jesus and let it give you a purposeful life. If you're an unbeliever, Brother, sister, please open your eyes. There is more to life than simply eating, drinking, and dying. And you know this to be true. Everyone does. The resurrected Savior points to a life that has purpose and that has meaning because the Christian life is, being about, is, is about being raised from the dead. When we're saved, we're spiritually dead and we're brought to life. And we know that later on, we will be physically brought with Christ as well. Do not wait. Turn to Jesus, repent of your sins, and come to him. Live a purposeful life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that we get to gather together. God, I'm thankful for this passage of Scripture that just reminds us, God, that we're not just going through the motions with life. That it's not about just doing. It's about being filled with you. God, I pray that you would be with us now as we turn to singing. That you would help us to worship you and that your word would grow in our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.